look at Psalm 16, verse 11, um, which you can find on page 454 of the Blue Bibles if you're using those. Psalm 16, verse 11. Oh, <laughs> yes, he knows, knows the good one. So let me read it for us and pray and we'll get into it. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is God's word. Let's pray. Dear God, this prayer is true, that you show us the path of life, that in your presence is fullness of joy, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore, that there is more joy to be found in you than there is anywhere else in the entire creation. So it is true whether it's our experience or not, but God, I pray that it would be all of our experience, and that this could be a prayer that we all pray or learn to pray by your grace and through your Son, who is the way, the truth, and the life. We pray this in his name. Amen. So as many of you know, um, I was gone unexpectedly a couple of Sundays back because it turned out as we were trying to sell our house that we had mold in the house, uh, which is apparently a very common Wilmington thing. We weren't prepared for that when we moved here, but we have learned since that it's relatively normal. Um, But there was mold in our house, and it was unfortunately in our AC system as well, so we couldn't turn on our AC. Um, So now thankfully that's all been resolved, and we've been back in the house since Friday, so everything's been remediated and taken care of. But when it happened in Wilmington in early August, we gave about, about one night, and then we were like, we can't do it. We've got to get out of here. And so we packed up our family. We took a week of vacation that I'd been saving for the end of the month here. And we said, we're going to take it early. And so we left to go to Snowshoe, West Virginia for a week. Now, most of you also know that we have four small kids. And anyone who has small kids knows that traveling, making an all-day drive like to Snowshoe, West Virginia, um, is not the most pleasant experience in the world. So whoever coined the phrase, like, it's, not the, ju- or it's the journey, not the destination, wasn't on a road trip with small children. Um, and so once you've been on the road for several hours with small kids, anything seems like a good occasion to stop, both for them and for you. It's like, there's a Burger King. Can't we stop? You know, there's a bathroom. There's a cow. There's a parking lot. Can we just get out of the car? So even as the driver, you get to a point where you're like, maybe we could spend five days in a roadside motel. That might be better than another couple hours here on this trip. But our destination, so the mountains, where it's beautiful, where the house is amazing, and the high is 75 degrees during the day, it was compelling enough that it kept us moving in the right direction. It kept us on the road despite the discomfort of pushing through the journey so we could make it there. So that's kind of the theme that we're looking at today in this verse. See, it comes at the end of Psalm 16, which is a prayer, and a poem written by King David. And we know from the beginning of the poem that he starts in some kind of trouble. We don't know what the trouble or discomfort is, but it starts with the prayer of, preserve me, O God, of, I need your help, I need you to save me. But then through the psalm, the whole prayer, he reminds himself of God's goodness to help him stay on track, 
So he quits kind of asking God for help to change the situation and just starts reminding himself of the, the goal, the track that he's on so he can stay the course and stay faithful. And this is the capstone. This is the end of his reflection, this verse that we read. He says, you, God, make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So David reminds himself of two things. One, the goal of life with God, so the goal where he's going. And two is the path of how God helps him get there. The goal and the path, and that's what we're going to look at today. So our goal, first, we'll look at, is eternal joy in the presence of God. Our goal is eternal joy in the presence of God. That David phrases this in two different ways to get the point across. He says, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So those are two ways of saying the same thing. That God is not just the creator of everything, where he sort of made us and then turned us loose to figure out things the best of our own. And he's not just a, a giver of rules. That God is the source of a joy and satisfaction that on this side of eternity, we can only imagine what it must be like. So God, the one God who has existed from eternity past as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as perfect love, what David is saying here is that he's not just real, he's not just true, which he is, period, and you know, he would be worth worshiping if that was all. But fortunately, that's not all that he is. He is good and beautiful even as well. That he's completely perfect in every way. And he's the source of all real goodness that we experience in this life. You know, Paul preached on Psalm 19, and we talked about some of this a few weeks ago. So if we're awed by the beauty of nature, like we're just sitting on the beach watching the sunrise and just overwhelmed with the glory of it, what we're seeing is just a reflection, a shadow, as it were, of God's own glory and his beauty. If we're filled with the goodness of spending time with people we love, like we had the chance to do with our community group uh, for a little while last night, that goodness comes from the goodness of God's love. Because the Bible says that God is love. And so when we experience human goodness, we're experiencing just a taste of that. And the hope that we're made for is that we'll see all of these things as sort of like the, the end of a stream, and that we'll be able to go back up to the source of the streams of the goodness and beauty and see and enjoy God himself forever and ever. One vision of this ultimate hope goes like this. This is from Revelation chapter 22. It says, Then I saw the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So a river whose waters give eternal life, a tree just whose leaves can heal the nations, never mind its fruit. The light of, that illuminates the entire world coming from the throne of God. That's the language that people reach for when they try to describe the fullness and the beauty and the goodness of God's presence. 
this goal that we have. That is what you were made to enjoy. You were made to see God face to face in the new creation, in a world and in a body that is set free forever from suffering and death. And to hear God say, welcome home, my son. Welcome home, my daughter, to this life that I've prepared for you from eternity past to enjoy on into eternity to come. So David wrote these lines, summarizing that truth to remind himself not to get distracted, not to get caught up in whatever concern he had, whatever anxiety it was that was threatening to get him off the path, whatever fading promise from earthly life that he was tempted to hold on to. And if there's one thing that I have to remind myself of constantly, and so I would want to leave you with as well, it's this, to stay focused on that eternal joy to come. That's the the greatest message that I could give because it's the eternal gift of God himself. It's to make this a prayer of our hearts. And there are two ways particularly to think about doing that, about how to make this our prayer as well, to make this our goal. The first way is just to pray it as like a steady diet for our soul, so to speak. To make this a daily experience where in our other prayers, whatever it is that we're bringing before God, whatever it is that we're dealing with, all along the way, we're also saying, God, you are the source of eternal joy. You are the source of eternal delight. Help me live in a way that I stay pointed that direction, whatever I may face through a day. If I go through my day and it brings me good and wonderful things, let me receive those as gifts from you that are like appetizers of an incredible main course to come one day and not be distracted by them, but receive them with grace and gratitude. If I have hard things come my way, then let them not bend me off course or shatter me off course, but let them uh, remind me that, man, there is goodness at the end of this that is way more worth any challenges or any suffering that I might experience now. And so making this a daily prayer can keep our hearts calibrated on this hope that we have and keep us moving the right direction, whatever we might face. So that discipline of meditating on it, praying it regularly is an essential practice. And a second uh, way to think about praying this is in times of spiritual crisis. So not just, you know, kind of my regular everyday life, but when I face something that tempts me to go off course or might throw me off course. It may come in the form of a a temptation, something that seems good, even though I know it goes against God's word and it's not going to lead me toward life. It's going to lead me away from life. In that moment, I really need this reminder to say that seems like there's joy there, but I know there's not. I know that eternal joy is in the same direction it's always been, that that's not worth turning aside for. It's just a Burger King. And to go back to our story initially, um, So when we face temptation, that crisis there, that can keep us on track. Or when we're uh, in a form of despair or hopelessness, when something has happened that makes our life feel like it's crumbling or makes God, you know, makes us lose sight or, or lose the taste of God's goodness in our souls, we need this prayer as kind of a beacon to say, I'm in a storm right now. Paul uses that analogy a lot. I'm in a storm, but that's a light, and that's where I need to keep going. I need to keep moving through this direction because I don't feel it right now, but I'm going to feel it one day. I'm going to experience it one day. And so this prayer can help us keep moving in the direction that we're supposed to go if we're in crisis. 
And so if you're in some kind of crisis, make this part of your prayer life. Whatever else it is you're bringing to God, God's okay with all of it. There's an incredible amount of anger, pain, suffering, sorrow in the passages of Scripture themselves. And so God's not afraid of that. But keep reminding yourself of this truth, that there is a light there, that there's something uh, to hold on to. And you know, come find someone in our church, find a community in our church. We would love to help you do that, to find people who can help you hold fast to that prayer. And so that's our goal, is eternal joy in the presence of God. Now we're going to look at the path. So how do we get there if that's where we're trying to go? To see this, though, we have to zoom up out of this psalm a little bit. Because if we had asked David, uh, how do we get there? What is the path of life that God has shown to you? David would have given you the Old Testament answer, which was true at the time, but is not uh, sufficient for us now. He would have said, well, uh, it began with this covenant that God made with us through Moses, that he rescued our people from the land of Israel, that he brought us to himself, that he made us his people, and he gave us this covenant to keep, uh, these rules to follow, these laws to obey. He gave us this system of sacrifices to uh, where when we fail, because we fail, we can uh, give up the life of an innocent animal to, and God will accept that as payment for our mistakes and failures. And if we keep that up, that's the path of life. That's what God has for us. And that was the right answer at the time. And a modern religious person might think that that's more or less what uh, the answer is now, that, all right, there's some kind of system for how God works, some way to find what he likes and what he doesn't. And I'm going to keep that system I'm going to hope for the best, and I hope I do a good job, and then that's going to keep me on the path of life. But the truth of Christianity, the truth that we call the gospel, is something completely different. And it's completely different in a way that gives David's words a different meaning for us when we know the whole story. And to see what I mean, let's turn to John chapter 14. John 14, it can be found on page 901 of your Blue Bibles. John chapter 14, Jesus is talking here with his disciples before he's about to be crucified. I'm going to read what he says, starting in verse 2. Jesus says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus refers to the same hope that David does in Psalm 16 in a different way. So he calls it here, my father's house. And he says, there's my father's house and I've prepared a place for you there. And when Thomas says, how can we know the way? Jesus gives those famous words, I am the way and the truth and the life. See, what he says here is astonishing. It's not, I know the way to eternal life, and I'm going to point you in the right direction. He says, I am the way to eternal joy, and no one gets there except by me. To adapt David's word, he says, I am the path of life. This is what distinguishes the Christian gospel from all man-made religions and even from the Old Testament, what they understood then. See, the path of life isn't a regimen of actions to follow first and foremost. It's not a set of things to believe even. It's first and foremost a person, the person of Jesus Christ. 
And it's not something that's laid out for you to feel your way to the best you can. It's a person who came to earth to find you and put you onto that path and bring you home. See, Jesus can say these things because he wasn't just a wise person or a good one. He was God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, made human. While he was here, he took that old path of life that David referenced, and he kept it perfectly. He was the first and only human being to ever do that. He completely kept the covenant of God, the human side of that agreement. And then, instead of being rewarded for his obedience, he was condemned to death and crucified as a criminal under the absence of God, that he was put under God's wrath instead of God's favor. The reason he did that was because he lived that perfect, obedient life for our sake. And then he died the death that our sins deserve. He was living and dying, not for himself, but for us. He was following that path of life on our behalf. And so he died under that sin. And then he rose again into a new life that is beyond the reach forever of sin and suffering and death. Is the proof of concept of a new creation, as it were, to use kind of modern language. And when he rose again into that new life, that also was for us too. Because he ascended into heaven back into the presence of God, and he took his human nature with him. He didn't leave humanity behind here. He took it up to God's presence. And so our hope now is that there is a human being standing in God's presence representing us. And he has lived for us. He has died for us. And he stands now for us in that eternal joy, waiting for the time when it's going to be reunited to earth The world is going to be recreated, and we are going to see and experience and know that joy face to face. It all comes through that person, through the person of Jesus. And our hope, the path of life that we have now, isn't just that we live like Jesus, though we do live like him. He says, if you're going to follow me, you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. But fundamentally, what it means is that we have let go of ourselves, of our desire, of our ability to try to keep that path ourselves, and we have held on to him instead. And we've said, I'm going to stand under him. I'm going to put all my trust in him so that I live like he does. I trust what he says. I follow what he goes after because his obedience is what saves me, not my own. His life is what saves me, not my own. His life is what opens that path to eternal joy. So that's what it means to have faith in Jesus and to live by his path instead of by ourselves. That's the true way back to this eternal joy with God. And so what I would hope for you here, whether you're new here, whether you've been here forever, whether you're a new Christian or you've been a Christian forever, is that you stay on this goal, that this stays the forefront of your mind. And that this path of trusting and following Jesus, that you would stay on that as well. That he would be your hope, that he would be your pattern and example. There are so many people around here. I could, spend, I could have spent 20 minutes more uh, just sharing stories of ways that I've seen people show this pattern of hope in Jesus here at this church. This is a great place to learn what that looks like. But I pray and I hope that it becomes your hope and your path as well. Let's pray. God, you make known to us the path of life. You have made a way for us to be reconciled to you here on earth. 
you've made the way for us to be united to you for eternity in the new creation. I pray that that joy would saturate us, that that would fill our imaginations with hope, and that would help us live faithfully with you in the easy times of life, in the hard times of life, in just the the dull or distracting times of life. I pray that we could stay focused on this eternal joy, that we could trust you above all, and that you would bring us home to it safely. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 